Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Week Ahead. My name is Tony Nash. Today, we're joined by Hugh Hendry. I don't think he needs an introduction, but Hugh is a founder of Eclectical Macro, as well as being a hotelier in St. Bart's and a lot of other things. Uh, we've also got Tracy Schuchart with Hill Tower Resource Advisors, and we've got Albert Marco. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. So much has happened over the last two weeks in the banking sector, and especially over the weekend with Credit Suisse. So looking forward to a lot of this discussion. We've got some key themes today. The first is uh, banking systemic risk versus inflation as the Fed meets and, you know, as as we sort out a lot of these banking backstops, I think there's a lot of discussion about which is more important uh, right now. I think a lot of it is focusing on banking systemic risk panic, but but we'll talk through that with you. Um, we also want to talk about higher higher rates and commodity cargo prices. Tracy brought some thoughts about that earlier, uh, I, I guess, over the weekend. So we want to talk through that today. And then uh, we've seen China kind of come forward as kind of a negotiator for the Middle East and Russia, Ukraine and other things. And I want to talk to Albert about kind of how real is that? How much of a, a good faith negotiator is China in those areas? So, Hugh, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. Hasn't been easy to get you. And we're, we're really glad to have you. So we really appreciate having you here. Um, great. So, so first off, banking systemic risk versus inflation. Everybody knows the Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic and the BTFT stuff, uh, BTFP stuff here in the U.S. All the Credit Suisse and UBS stuff happened over the weekend. What are you watching there? Like, what's your biggest worry? Is it these AT AT one bonds? You know, what are you focused on there? Um, well, I have been focused. For some time, uh, my my focus has been this impending car crash, uh, which is now becoming more apparent, perhaps, to the many. And my concern had been fed by my observation, my belief, that we've been operating in a silent form of depression ever since the remedial work undertaken since the great financial crisis and let's date that to, to March 2009. Um, it has been a spectacular failure. Um, and I, I will share with you a chart, maybe we'll be looking at it now. And, and it comes from, who does it come from? I want to say, um, I always get these names mixed up. Michael Klein, I think the um, wonderful uh, economist, academic works with Michael, but well, it doesn't work with Michael Pettis, but collaborated on trade wars or political class wars. Um, and he shows the indexing of US GDP per capita from the starting point of the Great Depression. Um, and, and likewise, he superimposes um, a similar uh, series for, for now, if you will, from, from that March 2009. And, and over the, the period spanning to almost 15 years, US per capita GDP in the Great Depression went from 100 to almost 190. And, and this time around, we've gone from 100 to 115. 
So I said silent. We should, I mean, we, we should call it the great, great depression that no one is allowed to speak of. Uh, we went through the pandemic environment to realize that there are some terms where there's almost a censorship. And it would seem that in US financial literature, the word depression has been um, assigned to the past and, and not to the present. So raising interest rates in a Great Depression has filled me with dread. And mm. I think that is what has come to light in the last 10 days or so. So when we look at the amount of credit that's been created since the financial crisis and kind of the, the payoff in terms of GDP per capita, is that one of the variables that concerns you most? Or, I, I mean, I know it's everything, and I think we're all looking at everything, but it seems to me that the payoff for every dollar of, of debt incurred by the government and by individuals is, is rapidly kind of falling down. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that the, the credit tap has been muted. And again, I, I make a distinction between sovereign dollar creation, and by that I mean the dollar creation from uh, onshore domestic US banks entering into new loan agreements, and, and if you will, printing dollars, versus the dollar creation, I would call it non-sovereign, which is the euro dollar, which is taking place offshore. Mm -hmm. And where you, with the ability to provide collateral, new dollars will be created. Now, the Fed, I believe, is less interested in the latter. And I believe over the last 40 years, the latter, these non-sovereign dollar creation, have, have come to be really much greater than the sovereign onshore. Sure. And the credit provision there has, has been really to fund assets and, and, and it's funded asset price inflation. And, and I think market participants have been very aware that um, that credit spigot got turned off, let's say, 18 months ago very dramatically so i would say it's been contracting um and now we're 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 seeing i don't like discussing the m2 series because i think it it, it takes away from this non-sovereign creation but we're seeing that the onshore m2 series is now contracting as well um yeah we, have, we don't have much we don't have much per capita gdp augmentation to show for for that right so, so wouldn't after all of the creation of money in, and I would say through largely through government spending, uh, and obviously Fed balance sheet in 2020 and 2021, isn't this kind of a normal reaction, kind of a normal medium term reaction to that much uh, creation of and distribution of money into economies? CA Futures is our subscription platform for global markets and economics. We forecast hundreds of assets across currencies, commodities, equity indices, and economics. We have new forecasts for currencies, commodities, and equity indices every Monday morning. Uh, we do new economics forecasts for 50 countries once a month. Within CA Futures, we show you our error rates. So every forecast, every month, we give you the one and three month error rates for our previous forecasts. Uh, we also show you the top correlations and allow you to download charts and data. 
Uh, CA Futures is available for $58 a month, $75 a month, or $99 a month. You can find out more or get a demo on completeintel.com. Thank you. Well, I again, it's a kind of I'm crossing my arms. Uh, it's it's a, yeah, it's good. A, it, it's a it's a funny money uh, conversation. You know the it is. You know, I keep saying I go to Starbucks and ask for a cafe latte, and I promise to pay it in bank reserves, and they they kick me out. <laughs> yeah. um, yep. I think you know the the Silicon Valley Bank was um, was acutely sensitive because their corporate customers are. Uh, startup businesses, uh, which are you know very much at the riskier end of the spectrum, um, and typically uh, that bank would be funding the last you know between the last six to three months your cash is disappearing. You need another fundraise. That's right. Um, but the bank steps in and it, and it holds you over. There was no 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 prospect of of more fundraising, so it was kind of exaggerated. But I think with the other banks, what you're seeing is that, and with Silicon. Um, you were seeing that their assumptions with regard to operating cash flow from their client from their clients just was not being met. That actually the economy is weaker. That we we've, we've again within this kind of silent depression, we've imposed. I mean, I don't dispute we've imposed um, structurally higher prices, but without again without the legacy of a dynamic of credit creation, which left like a really strong economy, which was to be tamed and to be tempered by the Federal Reserve's oversight. To my mind, it was a, it was a, a it's been a, it's been a muted economy for the real folk. If we go, if we move, you know, a kilometer or so outside, you know, the, 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 the financial centers of the world, the, the real world just seems rather, rather grim. And that real world is being hammered by higher rates. And again, with the prevalence of debt, um, I keep saying, if debt was 1x GDP in the 70s, um, and so we're we're approximate, we're taking out decimal points, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say we're we're 4x today. And so the Fed at 5% rates is really the Fed at 20% rates in the 70s, if I can get away with that kind of leap. Um, and you break things, you break and you, we're breaking things. So right. you know that that's been that's been my concern. My concern is what you know, I I believe that the the depression has been fueled by uh, Bernanke back in, was it 2013, when we had the taper tantrum, where he encouraged the private sector to raise rates on his behalf. We had 7.5% adult unemployment. And he was saying, heavens, I'm beginning to worry that the economy is getting overcooked. The market doubled 10-year rates. And you know what? The economy hit a wall. Then we had Janet Yellen tentatively in 2015 trying to raise rates. Again, Why? You know, it, it wasn't, there was never this economy which was running away. And then you had, you had Jay and you know, Jay's just being determined from his first day in office to kind of be some kind of Volcker guy. Mm. You know, he tried to, you know, the great, uh, what was it called? The Duke of York. He, he marched them up to the top in 2018 and promptly had to take them down. Yep. And then he came back again. And, and finally, I think, I, I mean, I feel like the, particularly the American economy has been, being crucified on a on the cross of of Jay's miscommunication. That during the pandemic, he explicitly said on daytime television that they were printing money. Now, I get why he said it. He was saying it to alleviate the real, real, real fear of that time. But it was, I mean, I'm going to say it, it was a lie. And yes. so the he he now owns 
the price it happened. I mean, I would say that is it causality? Is it something? I don't think the inflation that we saw is is monetary. I say it was a supply side thing. I think it will abate sure. because the monetary power will not be there to perpetuate it. But Jay had Jay couldn't escape that he was the guy who said, "I'm printing money," and then you had an explosion in prices. And so they're fighting desperately to to kind of preserve or, or rein back their reputation, but it's the economy and these banks and, and other actors which are which are uh, feeling that. Yeah, I guess so. If the the Fed is kind of trying to bring back in their reputation, who I know this seems a little bit random, but who has a better reputation? Like all central banks have terrible reputations right now. No, so they're. Are they, in fact, the best of the major central banks, or are there other people that are more credible? ECB raised fifty basis points last meeting, so is that is that a credible trajectory? Well, there's only one thing we know for certain: that the ECB will raise rates at the wrong sure. time. You know, right, exactly. You know, June two thousand and eight. June two thousand and eight. You know, right. um, and and again, it's like you know the. The pushback I also have is, well, you know, just tell me the last time any central bank made a, a glorious decision. You thought, gee, these guys, they, they got it. Yeah, they got it. Maybe it was 1994 and there was a kind of preemptive hike by Greenspan. Sure. You know, maybe, you know, but 1994 is a, a long time ago. So in terms of do we need central bankers, you know, given, I mean, I, the American Central Bank is the regulator of the onshore banking sector. And, and I maintain that we should be investigating and spending a, a colossal amount of money to examine uh, the totality of dollar creation, credit creation, because I believe it's it's tremendously larger outside the uh, the you know the, the 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 review of the central bank. And then finally, who does it better? Well, the uh, the inversion of the the treasury curves. Not just the U.S. Treasury, but it's a global phenomenon. If you've seen what the German curve has been doing, the especially the last really uh, following that huge eruption in the U.K. pension market when we mm, had you yeah. know, the fake budget or whatever, right. yeah. um, they've been now they've not been. When you have an inversion, it is not the bond market telling you its best guess of where rates will be. They create the inversion via a desire to hedge against the expectation of negative consequences mm. and, and, and like unforeseen consequences of Federal Reserve tightening, tightening in a world of tepid demand and in a world of, of great leverage. And, and so the, the bond market has been spot on. You know, I mean, the, those inversions are at record levels. And again, we are seeing a record form of... Uh, Banks going wrong and needing record forms of uh, financial intermediation from the central bank to, to fix it. Right. So it's interesting when you say, do we need central banks? I, I mean, I know that's a hypothetical question, but especially over the past week and a half, as we've seen the Fed come in to backstop bank runs, that's precisely the reason why central banks were created. Is that right? Yeah. So they kind of are with this BTFD, they're, they're kind of doing what they were created to do. Um, and I guess with the uh, Swiss Central Bank, what they did over the weekend, 
they're kind of doing what they were created to do. Although nobody loves the fact that kind of bank bailout discussion, nobody loves that, but they're kind of doing in the purest form what central banks were created to do. Is that, I mean, is that a fair categorization? Yeah, at, at the at the tail end of the process, yes. I, I don't dispute what they're doing. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't ask them not to do it. Right. Um, but I feel that, especially this time around, they are the malignant force that is causing the failure in, in the host banks. I mean, Credit Suisse, Credit, you know, Credit Suisse has been a problem that should have been addressed at least a year ago. Oh, yeah. It know? surprises nobody, right? I mean, the fact that anybody is surprised is surprising. And there's no bailout. You know, the even if you bought the equity on Friday, I think you lost 60%. You know, the, right. the equity lost just about everything. Uh, and of course, that spread into one of the tiers of the, the kind of quasi-debt debt structure. Um, so that, that again, we, we accept that. Um, I, the wider question is just why is it happening? Um, and why is it caught out the central banks? There's no dispute that the central banks are responding. And, and I I don't take huge exception to how they're responding. I just I take exception to the fact that they've been the custodians of a of a um if you if you were to accumulate the miss in potential GDP, you know, you know this, Tony, that in the 30 years up to 2007. Most kind of G7 economies, you know, outside uh, the phenomenon of China, were kind of compounding like 2.7 percent. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's been more like one and a half in those years since then. So the miss is now the equivalent of the entirety of the Chinese economy. It's sure. a big miss. It's a big miss. Right. Um, and and I think it it stems from a change in the risk seeking behavior. Of that of the host bank supporting the euro dollar system, mm. you know that re, you know they had a near death experience and and they've been regulated to bring it down, okay, and and secondly it's been um, periodic preemptive hiking by the central bank maybe with a noble cause but actually ending up doing wrong those, those two functions I actually believe at the end of this I think we're I think the generational time clock. Where you get profound, you know, like um, uh, Ray Dalio talks about these things, you know, 75 years. He has different clocks, you know, and, and they all have like a variation of 25 years, uh, give or take. But we're in one of those variations in terms of where we look at the underlying monetary system. You know, we, we had a gold standard. Um, it failed. Um, Great Depression. Um, people talk about Bread and Woods. I think Bread and Woods was a kind of in between. It didn't really sure. work. Private banks went, this this doesn't work. Let let's work it to to our ends. Um, right. And I think that Euro dollar system from was it NatWest Bank in London in 1956 or something. I think that that system is near its death as well. Um, and and so I think we're getting to the point where we'll have to invent. A better way. Now, that's not to kind of come back and say the dollar's doomed. It's actually that the the system that America accepts is is really no longer doing it. It's not. It is. It's not an unfair advantage. It's the opposite. It's like you have to really question why they support it. What do I mean by that? Why they support being the recipient of the world's capital surplus capital inflows. You know, why are the world's capital inflows going into the U.S. 
where they have absolutely no desire for investment beyond the domestic pool of savings. Okay, and so the result of that is we get profound asset price inflation. We turn an economy famed for its entrepreneurship and we turn it into an economy of speculation. Mm. You know, and that speculation is being unwound. We've with the advent of when debt to GDP, when debt accumulates, so debt to GDP rises, then you end up. There's, there's a danger that you're overstating the current GDP at the expense of future GDP. And, and as you overstate growth, you kind of create a fictional wealth in terms of the price of property, the price, price of stock market, the price of private equity. And it's not done through kind of sinister means. It's just, it's just it's a miscalculation. And the U.S. now, you know, for the last, heavens, what, the last 25 years, we've had, what, three or four events within 25 years that in a normal distribution, if there is such a thing, sure. you'd expect these things to be spread out. Over seven, so we had four events that you would expect to, to to kind of come to bear over maybe 150, 200 years, and yet we've seen it within 25. It's no longer mm. doing the US any favors, and so I think ultimately the US will have to look to perhaps mimic China and say and put up barriers whereby you cannot be the recipient of all these surplus capital flows. I think there would be a better mm. place for that, but. That's perhaps for another time. That's really interesting. I'd like you, to Tony. Our comment is, you know, I don't want to be the one to defend central bankers by all means, yeah. but how much of it is uh, political influence for central bankers to combat supply side inflation? I mean, uh, voters in each of these countries are, you know, facing 20, 25% inflation on goods and services. And, you know, uh, the way I look at it is, you know, those, those politicians need to get reelected. And for them to push back on the central banks to try to do something to combat inflation is the way that I would, you know, way that I would work it. I agree. It's it's an agency. You know, to my mind, this is an agency problem and not an economics problem. I mean, it's creating an economics problem, but it's the agency of government is, um, you know, the government being the principal and turning to its agent, the Federal Reserve and saying, you guys messed up and, and messing up, you affect me. OK, and if you affect me, I'm really going to affect you, you know, so do something about it. You know, it's mafiosa. But yeah, but but my point is, this is not an economics problem. Inflation. I was saying, I'm sure it's going to have on my tombstone. Inflation is a monetary phenomenon. OK, but the, the, many tombstones, not just yours. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, Albert, what you brought up about the euro dollar kind of out, uh, kind of outlasting its use. What are your thoughts on that? I know you know the euro dollar inside and out. Can you talk us through your view on that? The problem that I the problem that I have with that argument is there's just no alternative at the moment. And I understand what she was talking about is yeah, maybe we should look at a different alternative. And I think I was on this podcast maybe two weeks ago where saying that theoretically the anglosphere could come up with a digital currency founded by the dollar and whatnot to, to come up with a new system. But th these are all theoretical the theoretical policies that I just, I don't know how, how would they work? I don't know what it would do to the economies, how, how things would even transpire at that point. There's a lot of unknowns mm. in my opinion, but I don't think that the euro dollar 
is in is in any danger. I don't think even Hugh believes that the euro dollar is in any danger of going away in the foreseeable future. Right. So um, now the euro, if we go back 20 some years, the euro was supposed to kind of be that offshore mechanism, but it never really worked that way. Um, partly because the Dutch and the German. Um, uh, different charity. national interests, Tony, the different yeah, exactly. national interests, different financial, financial and different financial policies, different political interests. It just doesn't work. Right. But it's um, also Tony, but it's this point that um, Europe is founded still upon the rock of Germany, Holland, etc. And these are persistent trade surplus nations mm-hmm. that, that create uh, that create surplus capital and that surplus capital is invested in the United States you know the right. uh, the housing crash of 2007 2008 the majority of mortgage credit was provided by European right. banks not American banks okay yep. so again it's the uh, Europe is Europe and China Asia are less open to the flow of capital than principally the US and the United Kingdom. So we don't, you know, I don't believe, you know, to Albert's point that we have to invent a new currency. I don't believe it has to be digital or physical or God forbid commodity. It, it, there just has to be a greater regulation in the conduct and behavior of trading blocks with regard to each other. I, I agree. I agree. That, you know, there's an also there's a problem where Yellen is the one. She's done this before in 2013, where she is drive. She drives up your uh, U.S. dollar policy and hoping that capital comes back into the United States to keep asset prices elevated, just purely for her own labor labor ideas and political uh, political leanings. So that, that's that's something's like you know for me it's. You know, if you if you don't if you don't put any controls to stop yelling and others from doing this, they're going to just keep doing it over and over again. We're going to be stuck in a, a doom loop of uh, capital flows coming into the United States. Okay, so but that's interesting. You, you, what you said, Albert, and Hugh, what you said about um, almost trade flow. So it's the flow that is the problem. It's not necessarily the currency. Is that that's my that's my point. And and again, um, there are achievable so so here we are we, and we're, we want to talk about Greta Suisse and Silicon Valley but it's sure. kind of it's buried so so deeply the, the underlying problem which has been with us you know for at least 25 years now, I want to say that the last time the kind of Charles Kinderberger handbook to uh, a currency crisis actually worked out you know where the, where the, the great logic of his orthodoxy in, where you could monetize it what was the, the, the Thai bat, you know? And since then, and what, what was the change? Because the, it was the specter of China et al. seeing the vulnerability to those Asian currencies from being so open. And mm. so there was this vault fast to being, uh, to being effectively closed uh, or very much controlling the money coming in. So um, in return, the, the US had profound asset price inflation. Now, if you wanted to discourage that, you could put a withholding tax on treasury holdings by central banks, by foreign central banks. You know, they already have it at custody with the New York Fed. Um, 
And I don't believe that these institutions are like hedge funds that they are profit seeking. They are they are working to a political goal, and they would either, they will pay it. And if you squeeze it enough, you may actually discourage them. But at least you could impose a rent on their behavior and and the and the disturbances that that behavior is as we see the disturbances today play out again. Hmm. Okay. Very interesting. Um, so, okay, so we've gone into kind of the, the core of the problem, but if we go, you know, very short term, because, we, you know, we have a Fed meeting coming up, we, you know, everyone's uh, nervous about the systemic banking crisis or, or inflation. What do you think takes the priority in the next, say, in the next Fed meeting, do you think the Fed stays on its trajectory? And all you guys, Tracy, Albert, Hugh, like, what are you guys' views on this? Do you think the Fed says, "Hey, this banking thing scared us. We're gonna we're gonna stand pat on zero for a meeting, and then we're we're gonna see what happens," or do you think they proceed with twenty fives as they've been talking about and saying, "Hey, you know, we put the backstop up. The Swiss uh, central bank came in and put their backstop up." All's good with the banking crisis. Nothing to see here. We're going to keep fighting inflation. But what scenarios do you see them coming coming through again with a very short term mindset? Or Tracy, forgive me, Tracy. We haven't heard from you. Why don't you contribute? That's okay. No, that's that's fine. You know, I hate. I mean. I hate having an opinion because everybody has an opinion. Yep. That's why you're here. <laughs> Everybody's talking. You know, I would I would think they stay at 25. That said, I think that if they decided to hold, that would be great news for commodities and the commodity markets would react very positively towards that. But I think that they're going to stay with the 25 because they're going to say everything's contained just like we've heard a million times before um but we'll see sure i remember in 2007 at the beginning of the financial crisis the early indication said it's a 200 billion dollar loss we've got it contained nobody talks about this today but you know it's 200 billion dollars don't worry about it it's all fine we've got it contained is it possible that we're in one of those scenarios now where 2007 200 million dollars it's all it's all fine and we just kind of keep kind of raising into this when there's a bigger specter living out there or do you, do you think it's 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 done Tracy I I feel like this is not a repeat of 2008 I think it's completely different so I don't want to like equate it with 2008 exactly but I feel like the rhetoric is kind of the same where everything's contained it's okay we took care of it Yep. Okay. Very good. Albert, what, what's your view on the next Fed meeting? You think they're going to do 25? I think that I think they should do 25. I don't know what they're going to do, but I think they should do 25. Going zero was pausing is I think a bad sign for the market. I mean, it might be bullish for a few days, but realistically it's not going to help solve anything to do with uh, inflation, specifically super core, which is what I think the Fed is, uh, Powell has said himself, is what he's been watching and its trajectory is going up. So I think they have to stay the course and do 25. That said, they could do zero just because this banking, this banking issue has gotten, uh, at least in the press, out of hand with a lot of bazookas being sent out by central right. banks to, to, to squash it. So we'll see. But I, I, I hope they do 25. 
So if they do zero, do you think it can it, it indirectly confirms everyone's worst fears? Like, oh my gosh, they did zero. This is really it must be this worse. Is really than bad. Yes. Yeah, nar narrative wise, that's exactly what I would be thinking. It's like, what's what's going on? Why are they why are they overreacting like this? So right. that's exactly what I think. The sentiment would be definitely negative over the long run. Right, Hugh. You're all blinking crazy. Um, <laughs> may I remind you, for the last 15 years, uh, the growth in per capita GDP for the average American has been catastrophic. It's been one-sixth that experience during the Great Depression. And we're talking about the Fed hiking rates further. Um, you know, I, I recall my trading experience, Tony, you mentioned uh, 2007. Uh, and I always sat on <laughs> big time leverage positions and uh yeah we had northern rock uh go under wow we had you know some french banks kind of have have closures um but you know it was still modest it wasn't really the 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 what we've seen of late um and the fed cut rate you know and the s&p was like pretty much at its all-time high and we're like yeah but, you know they won't do anything they'll talk about it they'll express right. concern boom cut interest rates um the question is um, is that an old Fed? Uh, and that may be that may be relevant in the sense that I think the Fed should have been cutting rates six months ago. Mm. Uh, I think they're so by. I think I think the the sovereign <laughs> curves have been telling you that. Um, but they're kind of trapped again to the agency point and and to the assumption. You know, as Tracy said, hey, if they if they hold, I mean, can you imagine they cut? Your know, commodities would be off to the stars and and risk assets would explode. And I think the Fed is very conscious of that. And mm. so um, a Fed that should be, I think, should be cutting. I remember, again, can I just say, like, banks have discovered that they have funding deficits. These regional banks, they don't, they're not money center banks. They don't have colossal sums of other instruments that they can sell off to meet liquidity needs. They have illiquid pools of mortgages to corporate America. Yeah. And what you can do with that is you can package them like a CDO, these illiquid tranches, and you can offer it to the big money center banks and they'll give you treasuries. And then with the treasury, you into the euro dollar system and then they will address your funding. Now, the funding is coming. I believe the funding is coming from the inflation in that everything is 15 percent or more expensive, but the underlying business health and revenue isn't there. And so the corporate customers are their cash balances are coming coming down and down and down creating the deficit which these banks can't fund like i say we're in a depression and the preoccupation is how far will the, the feds raise rates mm, it's gonna it's gonna get worse the economic fallout uh, the consequences of this like finding you remember we have what percentage of the economy is the Frankenstein businesses that are support were supported by the fact that the carry was so low. Mm. You know how many, how much of the economy is the the conceitful economy which hasn't marked to market? It's sure. significant. You know, so I am full of um, angst. But are we here partly because interest rates were kept so low for so long? I mean, that that was really on some level what was behind Silicon Valley Bank. Is they were holding these um, this debt that was so far underneath the market that they couldn't keep up with their cash needs. So is that is that part of the problem? If they if they cut rates, it puts us back into that environment. 
Yeah, I mean, it, 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 that is that is the the problem. But like, well, the, the deeper problem again is beggar thy neighbor policies. Sure. You know, the we're missing, like I say, fifteen trillion dollars of global economic demand, and I think that's because you know China et al pursues a policy of making things cheap, you know, and, and keeping its, imagine if you're the, um, where are we on the, the remember we're, uh, Six, seven, nine. yeah, seven, eight, like call it seven. It was at nine when we created NAFTA like mm. many, many years ago. So nine to seven in terms of appreciation, the damn thing should be at four. Yeah. The Chinese should be, the citizens in the household sector should be really rich. They should be buying tons of overseas products and we wouldn't have that deficit but again owing to the the taipat episode and how we've organized trade flows that hasn't happened and so again that's why the per capita gdp for the ordinary folk in the states has, has barely budged which is why we've had to keep rates on life support but of course the consequence is you blow up asset prices and trying to get the two a balance between the two is I don't envy anyone that decision. No, it's painful. And as we see housing prices come down to earth, if that, you know, if that happens here in the States, you know, that's where most people's wealth is based, right? So if if their portfolio is coming down a bit, if their house price is coming down a bit, there, there are a lot of delicate balances, a delicate, say, household balances that will be upset here in the States, if not globally. So um, I think you have a you have a great point. I think it's a really difficult dilemma. I hear people all the time talk about how dumb the guys at the Fed are. They're not stupid people. <laughs> they're just I I don't think they're stupid people. I think they 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 understand the problem. I think it's a it's a very complex issue that they have to get out of. Right. Yeah. Can we can we ask Tracy about like on oil? Why is why is oil so weak? And like where that that huge surplus has come and it's changed the shape of the curve. I mean, again, it, like there's no demand for it. I mean, you know, can you speak to that? Yeah, I mean, I think part of the problem is a lot of uh, Russian oil is still on the market that most were anticipating it not be. We are seeing China come demand come back, but not as fast and furious as everybody had anticipated and still kind of very, very soft, even though mobility data has improved significantly. Um, still, their demand for oil is because they were, you know, stocking it for a year. Um <laughs> in their surplus. So, you know, they they have a lot of surplus. So obviously they're going to drain that first while oil prices are high um, and, you know, making deals with Russia for, for cheap oil. And the other part of it is, is that interest rates are high. <laughs> and that is, you know, because when you're talking natural resources, they're particularly exposed to rising rates, right? Because um, trading houses rely on bank credit to buy um, transport and store these commodities. So with higher rates, what is happening is these companies are either having to sell right away at any price because they can't hold it like they used to and wait for a better time to sell when the price was higher, or the opportunity was better. Um, so they're having to sell it right, right away for whatever price um, that means, and which is also ca causing downward pressure on prices right now, uh, realistically speaking. And, you know, I'm hearing from some of the big trading houses that, you know, they're having to forego some trades, right? And so that's stranding product with the producers. And so I think that's why we're seeing weaker commodity prices 
pretty much overall. Mm. And can you say, is it, do you have data on, on the driving statistics in the continent of North America? Um, yes, I do. I mean, I can... Um, Am I making it up to say that here we are, you know, so many years after the, the pandemic, when we know that everyone was kept at home um, and that the mileage is, it's not really, it's not really changed much. It really depends on the area, I think. Um, right. So we're kind of still seeing um, more limited in, say, some of the blue states where you're seeing uh, a lot of uptake in uh, some of the red states. Obviously, in the South, uh, so there, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot more mobility, or the mobility data is is a lot better. If we go and we look at TSA, I mean TSA, we've been wobbling like just above 2019, just and dipping just below, and then just above. So um, that data is still pretty strong. So you know that looks good, but you know mobility data is very regional in the United mm. States. And I guess for anyone shouting at the screen saying it's the adoption of Teslas and uh, you know electrical vehicles, I hear you, but I, I still, you know, I, I, you know, the the whole notion of this in this curse of inflation, that it it doesn't persist, or a sign that it's unlikely to persist is when you see changes in economic behavior. You know, where where you have discretion, you 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 cut back because you just don't have the financial wherewithal to support. A wallet, which you know, your wallet is not fifteen percent higher, but the price of goods and services is fifteen percent higher, and so like maybe driving would be discretion in that sense. Anyway, thank you for that. Yeah, on top of, on on top of that, I've always been you know I've talked a lot about uh, the SBR releases timed with the Fed selling oil futures to bring down the price of oil in their in their mind to help combat inflation. I mean that's something that's happening for happened happened last year for a little while, and I know that they've been doing it. Again, this year, and I mean, I heard through the grapevine that it was up to eight hundred million dollars worth. Really? So, Tracy, is that that I I thought that had come to an end, the the Biden policy of selling the you know the reserves, the oil reserves. We the last was sold um, in uh, we had the last little bit sold in uh, December of twenty two, and that was from that 180 million barrel release that was released throughout the year. Um, there's about 26 million barrels to release this year that was scheduled back in 2015. Um, that's part of a whole different deal. It was part of the upgrading of the SPR, paying for the upgrades of the SPR. So that release will still happen. Um, the thing is traders were looking at, you know, at these prices, the Fed, or the, uh, the, government was going to rebuy right and so they did hold they did hold an auction on uh in january and they didn't get any offers they didn't get any bids so they decided not to do that <laughs> um but now that you know and people are definitely looking at prices this low because really their target area was 68 to 72 dollars so you know at these prices they were looking for the government but it looks like that's just not going to happen because i think they are ha very happy with prices this low and they know if they start reflecting the spr that's going to raise prices okay great um, thanks for that. And Tracy, you know, I, I appreciate the the cargoes and the or the the pricing 
um, and the urgency of the finance of, of commodity sales. How long do you expect that to last? Do you expect that to continue to last for the next couple of months? Or is that something that we're just kind of in this period where things are changing really fast and it's a, it's a relatively temporary issue? Yeah, I think it's a, a relatively temporary issue. I mean, I think really what we're going to, you know, I th- still think we need a few more months to really see uh, what Russian oil is or is not off the market. And by the way, that is getting very difficult to track these days because they have their own fleets and you have a whole gray market there. Um, but, you know, from you know, whatever STS satellite information that those people gather, um, you know, they are seeing a lot of product build up on water because that's not going to be able to be sold. And th- that because February 5th is when that uh, policy enacted was the the ban on products. So I think we still need a few more months to see where that goes. I still think we need a few more months. And I, you know, I've said this for, um, you know, for months now when China started to reopen, I said, that I think this is not going to be like, it's going to cause commodities to skyrocket. I think it's going to be very bumpy. I think it particularly, you know, there's still the property sectors still a mess. They're not building anything. There's not really creating a lot of stimulus right now. Right. And they have a lot of oil stored. And so, you know, I think they'll need to kind of work through those issues a little bit before we really see China demand take off. Maybe in H2 um, of this year, if, you know, if the whole world's not in a global depression. Yeah, I remember a few months ago. <laughs> the depression. I remember a few months ago talking about that when the the when China was kind of supposed to open in Q1 and um, there were a lot of cheerleaders saying it's, you know, it's going to be a rocket ship. It's going to take off really quickly. And I think, you know, what we talked about here was it'll be slower than most people think. And that's come to pass. Right. It, yeah, they're pra- they're pragmatic. They staggered their reopening. You know, they're making moves for the next six to 12 months on uh, commodities, which leads me into my section today is what they've uh, what they've done in the Middle East with uh, brokering a deal between Iran and uh, the Saudis. I mean, this right. was specifically done because the Chinese are the biggest clients of, of both parties. So th- you're going to have to appease your biggest client and come up with some sort of, you know, quote unquote truce. But I, it's a short lived truce. As as the Russians, uh, the Iranians, and the Saudis start competing for for uh, more Chinese market share, since they are the biggest buyers on the earth at the moment, mm-hmm. tensions will inevitably come back up. They'll they'll bubble up again, and this truce just doesn't have any you know any legs to it. So, but the the most surprising part to me is that China just a few months ago was still under this kind of wolf warrior diplomacy kind of theme, right? very aggressive, very direct, very unlike what I'd seen in China for, you know, decades before. Um, and now they've they've changed really quickly to this, you know, dove policy of we're going to negotiate peace in the Middle East, we're going to negotiate peace between Russia and Ukraine. What happened there? Like, what? why? Is it just easier to sell stuff in a peaceful environment than it is in a war environment? Or what is it? Because they've been the biggest buyer of Saudi crude for for a while, so that's well, not necessarily it's, new. It's mainly, it's mainly to do the United States is leaving vacuum. Their U.S. foreign policy leaving vacuum in the Middle East. They've just basically abandoned it. I mean, what we you know we abandoned Afghanistan. We've 
pretty much abandoned Africa at the moment and the Middle East is we're just not we're not visible at the moment. So inevitably, people like China and Russia are going to sit there and go and fill the vacuum. And it's very easy for them to leverage their purchasing power on Iran and the Saudis and say, hey, you know, cut a deal, cut a cut a deal between you two so we can, you know, keep this uh, keep these trade deals going. Now, I think also the Saudis are leveraging, you know, their oil reserves versus the United States to say, hey, you know, if you don't if you don't become a little bit more friendly with us in in the defense sector and uh, start pushing back on the Iranian nuclear aspirations, uh, we're going to cut deals with China. And I mean, I would do the same thing, to be honest with you. So why this may sound like a stupid question, but why doesn't the U.S. come alongside these discussions and say, hey, it's peace. Let's, you know, let's negotiate. Let's get involved with this and support it. Why Why would the U.S. not do that? Well, it's much more complex to say, let's just have peace. I mean, the Iranians and the Saudis absolutely despise each other. Uh, the Israelis are also a major lobbying group in the United States. They certainly don't want to see Iran uh benefit you know financially over this and push that right into their nuclear program so there's a lot of, there's a lot of moving parts at the moment and specifically when you talked about uh, russia and the ukraine brokering peace there the reality is the russians are not going to leave their annexed areas and the ukrainians are not going to accept that so there is at best you can get to a status quo as we were a few years ago but in terms of peace deals it's just not realistic but over the weekend, didn't uh, didn't the White House come out and say Ukraine is a sovereign nation, but basically we won't let them negotiate a peace deal with Russia right now? But there was something like that that came out over the weekend. So how can how can the White House supposedly recognize Ukraine as a sovereign nation, but also not allow Ukraine to negotiate a peace deal? What that doesn't really make sense. Um, Ukraine's defense is completely based on U.S. armaments at the moment. So, of course, they can use that as leverage. And I mean, the United States loves uh, specifically the Biden administration loves to have Putin as a scapegoat for inflation. You know, I mean, the moment the Russians marched in there, you know, the term Putin price hikes came out and all over the news. It's yeah. just it's just one of those things where politics has reared its ugly head, you know, trying to influence economics. And, you know, here we are. Great. Okay. So let's take a quick look at what we expect, say, this week or the week ahead. What are you, what are you guys looking for? Tracy, we've seen crude way down over the past two sessions. What do you expect to happen in energy? Is this a is this likely to continue with, with crude continuing downward or is this very temporary? I think I think it is a temporary move. I mean, if you look at this, even though we have some softer demand, you know, we are heading into higher demand season, right? And so again, uh, you know, there's still there's a lot of recession fears right now too. Right. Right. So that reared its ugly head again because of all the, of the banking crisis, you know. And you also had, you know, a lot of what we saw too is when um, when U.S. Treasuries spiked. Right, because everybody was short. <laughs> Spike, you know, there were a lot of margin calls, and so mm. there, you know, it was kind of sell what you have to. Oil been sideways for three months, and so you know, sell what you have to. Um, right. And so I think that was part of that initial push down, just from the price action, because we've seen that before. Right. Um, but you know, I think that I think I think it's. 
I think we need, it's going to take a couple months to digest all of this to see where we're at. Let's see what the what the Fed does decide to do. Again, you know, if the Fed decides to do nothing, you know, I, commodities would love that, right? Yeah, they, they would. Could. It would be would better. <laughs> Everyone, Hugh would love it. Everyone would love it. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure I'd love it. I'm not sure I'd love it, I, and I'm not sure um, commodities would would fly. Um, when you say the Fed does nothing, the Fed sits at 5% rates, or if we're in the 1970s, the Fed sits there content with rates at 20%. I mean, I think oil's done I, I think oil's done something extraordinary. I mean, from, from the high tick with the, the Ukrainian invasion, I mean, oil, the oil price has halved. I mean, oil is trading at levels prevailing 2004. I mean, that's, ex, that's extraordinary. And it speaks more, I think, again, to my notion of this silent depression and and uh, and an aggressive and, and you know an aggressive tightening of policy which is appropriate for asset price inflation but you know, just is 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 sheer misery for the you know for the ordinary folk yeah, i'm actually i'm actually looking for a 25 basis point rate hike just to just to agitate you okay <laughs> See what happens on good. this week, but I agree with actually I agree with you. I think that uh, the Fed needs to actually cut rates if you want to see commodities start going these sky high parabolic moves again. And I think I don't think we're close to that at the moment. I do think that a pause would push uh, commodity prices up, but I don't think it would go parabolic like it did before. Oh yeah, I don't know. I definitely yeah. don't think it'd be parabolic. For- yeah, yeah, of course. But- I mean, if I was to talk my book, I I want the Fed. I, I want them being ECB like. I mean, I want them. I mean, I have to be cautious of how I say this because I don't want them doing malevolent things to ordinary folk. But if I was to talk my my book, you know, I'm I'm really very enamored, very long of the the very long end of the the treasury curve because you know we again to repeat myself, broken record depression. Um, the in terms of price, if we ignore the carry on. On, on treasuries, which is, again, you could say fanciful, but uh, we've wiped out 20 years of, of price performance, mm. So, you, which is to say you've had profound mean reversion. And so I do like mean reversion events as, as sure. in, in terms of global asset. I don't like mean reversion for individual stocks or individual kind of um, eclectic risk positions, but, uh, but, but the generic, give me something trading at its the 20 years. So to my mind, where, where the tre- where the, the treasury bond trades, where the inversions are trading is that most likely we have, for them to be, cor- well, for the curves to be correct, they're really imagining a situation where the Fed could rapidly unwind like it did from September 2007, from five and a quarter to, to terminal of zero, not a terminal of five and a half, six, a terminal of zero. And so you've got to think, how do you get to a terminal of zero? Well, you get there by inflicting again, just a colossal deadweight cost of economic pain on the economy. So you can conspire how that would come about from this intellectual or reputational or agency trap where they're just forced to continue with hiking. Yes. So you think, <laughs> so, so you, uh, over the next week, what, what are you looking at here? What are you looking in the very short term um, that, yeah, what are you paying attention to in the very short term? You don't want to know. Oh, I do. <laughs> oh, I do. 
Now, my my insights for these markets come from not watching them a great deal. I mean, I'm I'm heading to the most outrageous party in Paris on Wednesday, Thursday night. You know, <laughs> I'll, I'll take I'll restock maybe Monday on the West Coast next week in in the US uh, with it, and we'll see what's happened. I would expect I would if I had to guess I'd expect this there's a there's a huge desire to 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 buy the markets here. Yeah, the Fed's done something. We've even resolved the long-standing corpse of Credit Suisse. Mm. You look at the equity market; it's not really indicative of any great danger. The commodities. I mean, yes, I, I was talking about oil, but the commodity complex. It's not kind of signaling any like profound falling off a cliff. There's just been a profound revision. I think coming from hedging activities at the very short end of the Treasury curve. You know, even the long end of Treasury curve, it's not, it's not really done anything. Right. So the, the notion, I think, and I was speaking to you know friends who who manage risk, and you know they're all agitating. Agit- even we were looking at banks. I was looking at you know, look at if you look at Irish uh, listed banking securities, um, they're way above where they were trading September October last year. They're, you know, they've had a pullback for certain, but I mean they don't look whole. So I think the presumption is still going to be to feed and come back and try and chase. At a rally higher. That'd be my guess. Yep. Yep. Very good. Guys, thank you so much. This has been a fantastic discussion. Hugh, I'm glad we can keep up with you. <laughs> it was a really good kind of long-term views and I really appreciate your perspective. Tracy Albert, as always, thank you so much for your time. Guys, really appreciate it. Have a great weekend. And Hugh, have a great time at that party in Paris. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, nice white shot. Yeah.